Good morning. Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus to each of you. Welcome to all. If you're here as a guest, we welcome you. So today is Father's Day, but we haven't been uh, giving that uh, a lot of special focus. Thank you for a little bit of that there, Alan, in children's class. Uh, For those of you who were here several weeks ago, I preached the Father's Day message about two or three weeks ago. So today, we have another message that I been preparing for. We have a baptism later today, and uh, this message speaks somewhat, somewhat in that perspective. It's also a message that I had preached some years ago, and I was I was asked whether I would consider preaching it again sometime, and uh, I do consider it an honor when someone, first of all, remembers a message that I preached, and then asks whether I would preach it again. Now, we have one problem this morning, and that is the clock on the wall. It's going faster than our service is. So I don't exactly know how I'm going to do this, but I don't think I'll get through the entire message. I usually preach about four points or five points, and this message has nine points. So we're sort of in trouble from the start here. (laughs) But uh, we will do our best and try to, uh, if, if we don't get it all covered today, and I'm going to try to not feel pressure, just relax and speak. Um, and can you? <laughs> Neil wants to take care of the clock. Oh, well. Well, <clears throat> you can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1, we'll read, I believe I'll read verse 1 to 3, just introduce our subject a bit. Maybe we'll read these verses and then take a moment and pray. Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Maybe a... Yes, we'll read verse 3 yet. For consider him 
that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Let's just bow our heads. Father, be with us. And bless us and pour out your spirit upon us. Father, I pray, committing this hour to you, asking, Father, that your word would be precious to us, asking that your spirit would be present with us, that we would be, we would hear from you, Lord, in the race that is before us. Bless each one present here today. Bless each one who would have had a desire to be here, but are not able for whatever reason, Father, give us all renewed courage, renewed purpose to run, to run with diligence, to be faithful in our day. Father, we just commit again this time to you. Do bless us. Do bless this hour. We ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> the scripture here uses an illustration of a race. The race that is set before us. And then it it reminds us, as we think about the race, it reminds us of Jesus, who in his time was faithful in running the race. Um, so this morning, I would like to use an illustration, but it's not the illustration of a race. I would like to use the illustration of a softball game. And the title of the message is Batter Up. I'd like to set uh, in our minds the the uh, a softball game, and there are there are nine opponents that you face as you consider stepping up to the plate and taking the bat and engaging. There are nine opponents. Those nine opponents are all dead set against you as you step up to the plate and you take the bat and you prepare to do a play. You have nine opponents and every one of those nine opponents is set to see you fail. They are dead set against you. And they're going to do everything in their power to see to it that you don't succeed. They're like Goliath who stood across the valley from the, the Israelites and 
and shouted his threats and his uh, blasphemies and and curses and intimidations. Just like Goliath, all of those nine opponents are shouting their threats. They're shouting their intimidations. They're trying to make you stop before you even pick up the bat. You know, this scripture that we read talks about Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, for the calling that was on his life, for the purpose that was on his life, he stepped up to the plate and he took the bat in the face of all the opponents. And he made he took his swing. And he made his strike. And he made his mark. And he had his impact. And his impact goes on yet today. As we are, are the benefits of it. The Lord Jesus was not intimidated. Did not shrink back. Did not uh, draw back in the face of all those opponents. That were set a dead set against him. And we are asked or called upon to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as we uh, step up to the plate. And I realize we could look at this uh, message in the light of one making a decision to become a Christian. And it has its place there and we we uh, say it perhaps a little bit that way today in light of a, of a person being uh, uh, one of our sisters being baptized, having made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ and sealing that commitment with water baptism. So there's that aspect of, of, of this, uh, this uh, message. But there's also the aspect that, you know, we face this every day. You know, every morning we get up. And it's a new day. It's a new opportunity. And it's time to step up to the plate and pick up the bat and take our swing for another day. And those opponents are ever present trying to intimidate you, trying to make you fail, trying to keep you from succeeding, trying to see to it that you don't score for your team. They're ever present. We'd like to take some time and look at some of those opponents. I do not consider uh, at all that this is all-inclusive. We will try to look at nine different opponents if we get that far. But like I said, I'm sure there are others that could be added to it. The first one I'd like to look at as we think about our opponents is the pitcher. Who throws the ball. I like to liken the pitcher to the devil. You know, uh, well, let's turn to Revelation 12. We'll read a few scriptures. Revelation 12, verse 7. says, and there was war in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their found neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. This is giving us a picture into the enemy of our souls. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. Maybe just uh, jumping down to verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. I read those verses because it gives us a glimpse into uh, the, the works of the, of the enemy, the works of the devil. Uh, you know, there we could go into all kinds of... Uh, Arguments about perhaps what this, you know, as far as the revelation and all the uh, fulfillings of all those things. Uh, but that's not what we're here for this morning at all. We're here to recognize that there is a uh, there is a devil. There is an enemy. Um, he's real. First Peter, Peter tells us in verse uh, chapter five, verse eight, be sober be uh, be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour so he he's 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 around he's he's trying to do his work he's trying to uh, devour whoever he may james 4 verse 7 james exhorts us submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you so James, we, uh, James does not deny the uh, existence of the devil, rather very much affirms his existence, but gives us some instruction on how to deal with him. Uh, Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is a, a wily fella. He's, he's, he's tricky. He's He's, he, he's, he leaves no means untried to try to somehow figure out a way to get into the lives of God's people and trip them up. You know, in, in the book of Job, we see, get a little bit of an inside uh, glimpse of, of the devil and his, his doings. And, you know, he's, the devil is not just sitting in a corner somewhere doing nothing. Uh, he is... He is active, and when we uh, maybe just think a little bit about Jesus and in uh, the ways that the devil uh, tempted Jesus, you know, he uh, Jesus hadn't eaten for forty days, and so the devil uses the need of food to tempt him. Very real things, real things that you and I uh, experience and 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 realities we live in, and that's what Satan used. Uh, the desire for food. You know, Satan came and told him to cast himself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, 
I think we all recognize that if uh, we, we recognize that in general, Christ, his coming was not accepted of the majority of people. And uh, I think the devil uh, recognized or knew that he could uh, trip him up if he could uh, uh, get him in this area. You know, all of us, there's something of uh, there's something of wanting acceptance, wanting uh yeah, to be accepted, to be valued, to be appreciated. He didn't have that in most of the people. But suppose he would have jumped down from, uh, from a pinnacle of a temple and just came floating down among the people and, and they would all, whoa, who, who's this? And, and he'd just come gracefully down. You know, the temptation uh, of acceptance. And the devil used that to try to trip him up. You know, there's... Uh, there's a, the, uh, the the thought of success. You know, the devil the devil told Jesus that if uh, if you you fall down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. They'll be yours. You know, uh, you know, we all have that desire for success in what we do, and uh, the devil tempted Jesus in that area, trying to uh, get him to trip up and uh, listen to him and bow to him. Uh, rather than uh, go the way of the cross, which appeared by appearances appeared to be a, actually appeared to be a failure. It did, you know. Even the disciples kind of walked away with uh, when Jesus was crucified. They walked away and kind of befuddled. Now what? It looked like it failed. It looked like the whole thing. Went down in history as a failure, but not in God's economy, not not in not in the way God works. So the devil, he's uh, he's a very real opponent in our lives, uh, trying to trip us up. Hopefully, at the end of the message, we'll talk a little bit about uh, verses like "Greater is He that is in you than He is in, He that is in the world." Uh, they overcame Him by the. Uh, blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So uh, we don't want to uh, sit here in in fear of the devil and what he's doing. Uh, we uh, there's there's no uh, there's no need for that. There's no need for fear in our hearts. But there is a need for us to recognize the reality of him and the reality of that he is uh, he does want you. Like Jesus told Peter, Satan hath desired to have you and to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you, Jesus said. So we recognize the the devil is a real opponent. <clears throat> so the first uh, point is that, that the the pitcher, the uh, the devil, the one that uh, tries to throw us those uh, curveballs and things that. We aren't prepared for and catches us off guard and tries to uh, trip us up. How, uh, what are some of the ways in which uh, that might happen? And I think the rest of the points will just kind of uh, build on on the fact that there is an enemy who is at work and trying to to get us, but he does use it there. You know, there's everyday Real life uh, things that we can do to help uh, 
help avoid his uh, his uh, combats. So the first thing I'd like to, and then the next thing we like to talk about is, so we have the pitcher is the devil, and I'd like to talk about the back catcher, and uh, maybe we could, would, uh, for the sake of the message this morning, we'll call the the, the back catcher an undisciplined life. You know, it's uh, the back catcher is behind us when we are at the bat. And uh, an undisciplined life, it might be one of those things that kind of gets us from behind. We don't stop to realize what's going on. Uh, Proverbs 26, verse 14, talks about, uh, says, As the door turneth upon its hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth, hideth his hand in his bosom, it grieveth grie- Grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. Uh, talks about slothfulness. Talks about uh, not having purpose. Talks about, uh, yeah, not having a, a plan for the day. Turn upon the bed like a door on the hinges. Turn this way, turn that way. Well, after a while we'll get up. Well, maybe after a bit here. Well, it's now 10 o'clock and still in bed well maybe by 11 i'll be up you know just no purpose no no goal for the day no plan and uh, just kind of uh an undisciplined life hebrews 6:11 and 12 says and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that you be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises so we have the idea of uh Slothfulness versus diligence uh, given in those verses, you know, kind of extremes. Diligence, uh, being purposeful in life, uh, being purposeful in our days as opposed to no purpose, no plan, no action. Yeah, no plan of action for the day, no uh, uh, schedule. And... uh, it all just kind of, you know, however it unfolds, it does. And uh, that can be, that can be difficult. It can be, uh, you know, the day, the day goes by and, uh, and we have projects we should start, but lunchtime comes and we didn't get them started. And then that's strike one. And then it's three o'clock in the afternoon and we still didn't get the project started. We should have started. And then it's strike two and, and, uh, by the time uh, the evening rolls around, we still didn't get it started. And it's strike three, the day's gone, and we didn't get anything accomplished. And in that, the devil has uh, succeeded in, in making us almost useless uh, in life. So while we were trying to figure out what to do and when to do and how to do it, the, pit, the, the, the pitcher and the back catcher were playing the game, and they struck us out. So put structure in your day. Set goals. Make a list of things that need to be done. Start at a reasonable level, something that's attainable, but start somewhere. Uh, and uh, overcome if you find yourself in a uh, undisciplined life. All right, going on to the first baseman. So uh, we uh, we managed to hit and uh, get a good hit in, and we take off the first. And again, uh, going back to Hebrews 12, scripture that we read there, 
talks about weights and sins that do so easily beset us. Lay aside, uh, let us lay aside, also, uh, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. So we, we get started, we hit, but there's a besetting sin. There's something in our lives that uh, trips us up. It could just be as simple things as foolishness and carnality. It could be deeper things like uh, unhealthy, unclean thoughts. Uh, it could even be deeper yet of un, uh, unhealthy reading materials or, or with our uh, world of technology, uh, feasting on things that just simply pervert the soul. Uh, besetting sins. Uh, could be things like anger. Uh, yeah, various things that... Uh, could come in the category of besetting sins that when we should be running and running around the bases, there's this sin that trips us up and we make out at first base. Uh, yeah, you, you think about it and uh, think about what it might be in your experience that could possibly uh, be there. And about the time you, you muster up courage and faith to run and use Start heading around the base and then boom, there it is. And it trips you up again. And, and uh, there you go. Besetting sins. And of course, then there's a second baseman. <clears throat> if, we, uh, uh, if you know what often follows besetting sins, it's often discouragement. Uh, Hebrews three, uh, 12 verse 3, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, Lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. You know, discouragement, uh, discouragement is simply the lack of courage. Uh, maybe, we, maybe those words fit it well. Wearied and faint in your minds. There's no courage there. There's, uh, the, the task looks big. The game looks hard. The, the, uh, I, I'm just not gonna make it. I might as well quit. You know, discouragement. Taking away our courage and our confidence. You can't do it. You're a failure. Why even try? Remember the last time. You made a mess of things. Discouragement. Uh, does the enemy ever throw us that curveball? You know, discouragement. Getting us out. Second base. That is a goal of the enemy. But I want to encourage us, like this scripture says, to think about Jesus, looking unto Jesus. If we're tempted to discouragement, that's uh, what the Hebrew writer is encouraging us with here. Looking unto Jesus, recognizing uh, the, the, the difficulties that Jesus endured, recognizing the, the uh, uh, turbulent uh, experiences that Jesus went through in his journey, in his life, in his experience, and allowing that to encourage our hearts, to give us courage, rather than to be discouraged, to not have courage, to give us courage to press on, to do, to, 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 to keep uh, running the race, to keep uh, fighting the fight. So the second baseman is discouragement. Let's consider the shortstop. 
Perhaps the shortstop would be unforgiveness. You know, uh, not forgiving those who've sinned against us. The, uh, the disciples here, Matthew 18, 21 and 22, uh, says, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Uh, Mark 11.25, Jesus also said, And when you stand praying, forgive. And if ye have aught against any, when it, let me start over on that. And when you stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. You know, the, the Bible assumes that there will be the need to forgive in human relationships. Now, that assumption doesn't give us the right to offend. It doesn't give us any grounds to intentionally offend someone, to hurt someone, to do something intentionally against someone. But it does clearly indicate that uh, it is, the Bible assumes that those those those, there will be things in human relationships that are going to require forgiveness. The Bible, you know, Jesus was quite clear on that. Uh, and uh, when he talks about uh, forgiving uh, seven times versus 70 times seven, uh, it's, it's a concept that I think even, you know, we, we kind of find our find it hard to wrap our mind around that. If somebody, if I actually had to forgive someone for the same thing 400 and some times in one day, we'd somewhere, we'd run up to the end of it, wouldn't we? It's, it's just the, the it's, it's, yeah, Jesus is just uh, pressing on us the importance of forgiveness and the fact that it is essential in our lives, that uh, life will have those moments where, where we hurt someone or someone hurts us and the need to forgive. Isaiah 43, verse 25, this is how God says it. He says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out transgression for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. And that's how God uh, relates to us, particularly in Christ as we have trusted Christ for salvation and, uh, and for forgiveness of our sins. And there's uh, that scripture in Matthew 18, that uh, latter part of the chapter that I think we're all familiar with about the individual who owed a debt he couldn't pay and he was forgiven the debt. And then he went out to one of his creditors who owed him a tiny little bit and he demanded that it be paid and when the, his creditor wasn't able to pay it, he threw him in prison. And then uh, God brings us around and tells us that in the very last verse of that discourse, he says, So likewise shall my father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And there he uses the word, from your hearts. Uh, Forgive everyone their trespasses. You know, when, when we talk about forgiveness, I've often used this illustration. Uh, unforgiveness, let's say we would have a bird up here in a cage. You know, at one of those, maybe some of you have them in your home. And uh, 
So that bird is in that cage and it's limited on where it can go. And you can take a stick or something and you can go in there and you can goad that bird and you can poke that bird and you can kind of make life miserable for that bird. And you can keep it uh, uh, in a state of of, uh, discomfort and all sorts of things. That's a little bit like unforgiveness in our lives. There's we have we someone wrong, uh, offended us, uh, sinned against us, wronged us. And in our hearts, we put them in a cage and we hold them there. And we just would like to make life miserable for them. We just feel like they somehow deserve some kind of misery because of what they did to me. And we hold them there and we goad them and we 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 just yeah, that's that's unforgiveness in our hearts. That's how it works. We we just hold them there. We just somehow there's just something in us that won't release them. But to forgive is to simply open the cage and let them go free. That's forgiveness. To choose to open the cage and let the person go free. And of course Jesus says from the heart. And that is sometimes work. Sometimes that takes prayer. Sometimes that takes even breaking our hearts before God to be able to say when when offenses have been huge and and personal and whatever, to be able to say, Lord, I forgive. I forgive. I let this person go free. I will not wish or intend any evil on them anymore. I will not try to goad them and make life miserable for them anymore. I forgive. And I recognize I, I, it's, it can take work. It can take travail of soul to actually bring our hearts to that place. But Jesus calls us to that, to forgive from our hearts. And so we, we get past the first baseman. We might get past the second baseman. Maybe discouragement doesn't bother us. But what about the shortstop? Unforgiveness, where something comes up in our lives and we... We have a hard time letting go of it and uh, releasing it and releasing the person who was responsible for it. You know, it's it's a little like uh, the psalm writer in Psalm 55. He says in verse 12 to 14, he says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then could I have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then would I have hid my face from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and we walked unto the house of God in company. You know, those are, when, when, when someone out there in the world offends us, it's often not that difficult to deal with it in our hearts, right? But when it's someone we're close to, it's someone we love, it's someone we you know, have fellowship with. We do brotherhood together. You know, we uh, we are at work together. We're working in the same company, or we we uh, it's family. You know, it's my 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 brother, my sister. It's and that's where it can be difficult. It's those of kin to us, somewhere close to. But nonetheless, Ephesians four thirty two: Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So the shortstop, unforgiveness. Uh, We'll keep on going here. The third baseman, perhaps the third baseman we could call self-pity. 
Uh, I'm going to go to 1 Kings 19. Uh, you can turn there. We probably won't. We'll skim, skim it a bit. But uh, it's the story of Elijah. 1 Kings 19. It's the story of Elijah after the great, uh, the great uh, showdown on Mount Carmel where Elijah called fire down from heaven and it consumed everything. And then in chapter 19, well, Elijah had taken care of all the prophets of Baal. And uh, in chapter 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not, not thy life as one of as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So uh, Jezebel threatened Elijah that he's going to be a dead man in 24 hours. <laughs> and uh, Elijah had just seen a marvelous work of God, a marvelous move of God. And uh, but he wasn't quite he hadn't quite got home yet. He got to third base and something happened. His woman threatened him. <clears throat> and so then, uh, it says here, and when he, in, in verse 3, And when he saw that, when Elijah saw that, when he heard what, uh, Je- uh, what Jezebel was planning, he rose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, where, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not not better than my father's. I I think we probably all can, at some point in life, have had a little bit of this. But imagine the great, great uh, success. And within a day or two, a couple days later, Elijah is saying, let me die. I'm no better. Uh, I call this one self-pity. I'm not exactly sure why uh, as, why uh, Elijah would have been facing that uh, in that strength. But it's a bit later here. He says uh, in, in verse 10, well, in verse 9, it says, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him and said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And that's the posture of heart that he was in at that point. Uh, I've, uh, I, I'm the only one left. Uh, I've done everything I can do. It hasn't worked. Uh, I, they're seeking my life, and and he he uh, somehow uh, fell into a, a a ditch of of self pity and and uh, uh, lamenting his situation and lamenting the circumstances that had come upon him and and uh, bemoaning what uh, was happening rather than uh, a faith filled uh, heart. So. He had made it. He had made it around first and made it around second and got past the shortstop. And then at third base, he almost lost out. 
Self-pity, dwelling on our misfortunes. It's a close kin to brooding, and it seems like maybe that's what uh, might have been happening there, just uh, brooding on the uh, difficult situation at hand. You know, replaying a situation over and over in our minds and going around for the hundredth time, this is, this is uh, you know, just, uh, and just inward focus, self-pity, brooding. Anyway, uh, you know, and those are real temptations. We probably all face them, depending on our personality more so than others. Uh, that's a reality. But nonetheless, I suspect all of us have at some point faced something similar to that. You know, we've the Lord has given us a sound mind, and we can think through things from a biblical perspective. We can find solutions. Uh, we can... Uh, a little like uh, David or the psalm writer there in Psalm when he said, uh, he talks about almost my feet slipped, almost. I, I was meditating on how the, 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 the heathen, the unbeliever, they prosper in their ways. They, and it almost took me as I thought about it. There's no pangs in their death. He, he lists the whole number of things. And he says, I went to the house of God. And when I went to the house of God, it put it in perspective. And that's what we need to do uh, when these kind of things come our way. You know, go to the Word of God. Uh, focus on, uh, put God in the equation rather than just the problem. Put God in the equation and uh, allow our hearts to be strengthened and encouraged and recognize that, uh, that uh, we're not alone. God is with us. God is for us. <clears throat> So the third baseman is self-pity. Let's consider the left fielder. Perhaps we call that one, that one vain glory. The Bible talks about uh, in Galatians 5 verse 6, let us, verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Vain glory. Uh, so we see several things happening here. Uh, if we're desirous of vain glory, then we, then envy enters in. Because uh, we are wanting, uh, we are wanting uh, others to esteem us, to admire us, to appreciate us, to value us, and then when someone else gets is esteemed or valued or appreciated, then there's that envy. Oh, I wanted that. I wanted that honor. I wanted to be. I wanted that respect. I wanted that uh, uh, vain glory. Wanting, wanting to be. The, the, in the center of things and be the one who is, uh, uh, noticed and appreciated and, and gets the honor and whatever else uh, we can put to that. You know, whether it be, uh, from, uh, friends or neighbors or, uh, working peers or, or whatever it is, just, uh, wanting to be the, the person who gets the recognition, gets the notice, gets, uh, the, uh, promotion, gets, uh, the, the is esteemed vain glory desiring that you know there's nothing wrong when that happens to you but if you desire it and try to get it and try to rig things so you do get it well that's a problem <laughs> that's vain glory desiring uh, desiring promotion <clears throat> so that's the left fielder so let's consider the center fielder you know we uh, we got past the we hit, we got it past the second baseman. 
The shortstop didn't get it, but out there's the center fielder. And about that time, uh, time we thought we were really doing well, we, had, we really had it going for us, and we were really accomplishing something. And up steps the left fielder, which is pride, and catches it and makes us out. You know, uh, Proverbs 16:18 tells us that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty, haughty spirit before a fall. James tells us uh, in James 4, verse 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore God, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So pride is a very real issue. You know, I think, uh, again, we probably all have felt it in our lives, in our hearts. Uh, we have seen it wanting to crop up. And sometimes it's been there and we haven't even noticed it and haven't realized it. That can happen so easily. Um, it's a subtle, subtle thing where we have a, an overestimation of ourselves and, and our value to the company. The church, the family, the discussion, the subject at hand, you know, our opinion counts more. Our opinion is the best, you know, those kind of things. Center fielder is pride. And let's consider the right fielder yet. So maybe we got past all of those. Managed to uh, be an overcomer. You know... What about uh, compromise? Ephesians 5 verse 15 says this. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Maybe the right fielder would be compromise. Um, so walking circumspectly is walking with an accuracy, which is the outcome of carefulness. Uh, walking circumspectly. We... Uh, not compromising. Compromising would be the idea maybe of taking shortcuts and not uh, being willing to uh, walk, the, take the extra steps or walk the distance that is needed to accomplish effectively what needs to be accomplished, but rather looking for shortcuts and easy way out. Uh, compromise. Not willing to bear the cross, perhaps. Uh, not willing to be radical about our Christian faith, and uh, and you know it it's the, the the climate in the in the Christian world is of such a nature that you can kind of put yourself in whatever slot and category you want, and you can find people to fellowship with you that are in that slot and that category in their beliefs and their practices and so forth, and uh, uh, and that temptation can be very real to. Uh, to compromise, to make the, the road easier uh, rather than bearing the cross and being willing to be looked at a little bit funny by some because you have convictions about this given area or that given area and you won't compromise. So the right fielder, maybe we get past them all and then we stumble up and on the point of compromising and and uh, failing to stand strong for truth and for God and for righteousness and and holiness and so forth. All right, I'm going to try to wrap it up here. So we got all the way around the the field. Like to uh, 
go to Genesis chapter chapter 4. Early on in the scripture, we find someone who didn't uh, fare so well. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 is the story of Cain, some of the surrounding verses, and how Cain brought an offering and uh, God did not have respect to Cain's offering and Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And in verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou dost well, shalt thou not be accepted and if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door. And we, uh, and, and of course, then verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And so here we have uh, the account of a man who, when his turn was to step up to the bat, take the bat and, and uh, face uh, the enemy, face the opponents, he made a clear out. You know, God came to him and said, Why is your countenance fallen? Basically saying, If, if, if thou doest well, if you uh, mend your ways, if you, uh, uh, if you repent, uh, mend your ways, you, you'll be accepted. Uh, seems like there, I, I believe that Cain had a clear understanding of what, what it would have taken. Uh, I believe he understood that. I, we don't always, we try to figure out what actually did he do wrong and what should he have done that he didn't do and all that kind of thing. But I, I'm convinced that Cain clearly knew what he would have needed to do to be accepted. And he, he didn't do it. He didn't, uh, he struck out. He, he made an out. So it's our turn. It's our turn to step up to the plate, to pick up the bat. To face the opponents. There's some scriptures that uh, uh, give us encouragement. Uh, Proverbs, and, and we think about these different points that we looked at, and how they're they're personal to us. You know, discouragement, uh, uh, pride. You know, just numerous things, uh, besetting sins, lusts, unclean thoughts. These things are personal. They're real issues in our lives that we have to reckon with and deal with. The proverb writer in Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And I have another uh, translation here. A Young's literal translation says this, Above every charge, keep thy heart, for out of it are the outgoings of life. You know, what goes on in our heart is what becomes a reality in our experience. And if we keep that heart, and deal with the issues in the heart. We won't have the uh, the outcome in life's experiences that are, are negative and bad. Second uh, Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. A verse of, of tremendous encouragement. Uh, the weapons are not uh, carnal. You know, it's, it's, it's spiritual. And uh, we have God 
we have the grace and strength of God to help us to bring down those, uh, bringing our thoughts and our hearts into uh, obedience to Christ. Uh, and again, reflecting on Revelation 12:11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. You know, uh, again, they overcame him by the uh, by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And again, you know, to to be reminded that uh, success does not always in the Christian life uh, does not is not. How do I say it? Jesus was incredibly successful in in completing his mission, even though to the to the human eye, it appeared to be a total failure. And that is uh, that is a a success in the Christian life is not measured by what we see with uh, with our eyes, with our perception, even at times. And we want to always remember that, you know, we 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 can uh, do what is right. Uh, obey the Lord, endeavor to walk in his ways, and sometimes it can appear as though it maybe didn't benefit anything or benefit a given situation or whatever. But let's always remember that uh, God's economy is different than this world's economy. And uh, and uh, things can have a much greater impact than we might ever realize. You know, I thought I might just close with... Uh, well, let me let me say this verse, uh, quote this verse yet. First John four says this greater is he that is in you than he that he that he that is in the world. Um, just a, a portion of a verse there. Uh, remember that that is very true. Greater is he that is in you. Um, and then we think again about the illustration or the, the idea of where what really is success. Think about Dirk Williams, who fleeing his captor, crossed thin ice. His captor broke through. Dirk, in love, turned around and helped him out, which was the result of, resulted in him being captured again and resulted in his death. But Dirk Williams, uh, unlike Cain, Dirk Williams hit a home run. He, he, uh, yeah, he hit a home run. You know, to the general common individual, he looked like a fool, but he hit a home run. And that's what we want to always remember as we, uh, as we run around the bases of life. Um, remember, it, it's, success isn't necessarily, uh, success is, is measured differently in God's economy than in in this world. Well, we made it. We made it all the way around. So thank the Lord for that. Perhaps we can just again bow our heads a moment in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this brief message, these thoughts from the Scriptures. Again, Father, bless each one present here today. May these words be encouragement and help in running the race, in being faithful, in being diligent, in being overcomers, in crossing the finish line, in, uh, in faithfulness to you, Lord. So bless each one, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.